iniquity in my hands, if I have rewarded evil unto him that was at peace with me, yea, I have delivered him that was without cause as mine enemy. Let the enemy persecute my soul and take it. Yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay mine honor in the dust. Selah. Arise, O Lord, in thine anger. Lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies and awake for me to the judgment that thou hast commanded. So shall the congregation of the people compass thee about. For their sakes, therefore, return thou on high. The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to mine integrity that is in me. O let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God trieth the hearts and reigns. My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not, he will wet his sword. He hath bent his bow and made it ready. He hath also prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordaineth his arrows against the persecutors. Behold, he travaileth with iniquity and hath conceived mischief and brought forth falsehood. He made a pit and digged it and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His mischief shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealing shall come down upon his own pate. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness, and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Psalm 7 is a psalm of David. We find that right there in the title there. That word, Shigion, this is the only place we find it in the Psalms. You could find it also in Habakkuk 3, verse 1, uh, but it's no one's really quite certain exactly what it means. There's some possibilities. It could mean uh, variable verses or songs. It could be a musical note, uh, kind of a musical uh, inscription there. It could mean a passionate psalm with strong emotion, which would apply to probably 70% of the psalms. Or it could mean to wander or cry aloud. To wander or cry aloud. Have you ever faced false accusations. Have you ever been pursued and persecuted unjustly? This is the situation that David discovers himself in in Psalm 7. And when David faces these unwarranted accusations and oppositions, there's four things in particular that he faces here in Psalm 7. And we find, first of all, him facing the critics. Facing the critics in verses 1 through 2. He says, O Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me and deliver thee, lest he tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces, while there is none to deliver. Notice, first of all, it mentions there in the title, Cush, or Cush, I'm not sure exactly the right way to say it, but Cush the Benjamite. Cush the Benjamite. He was one of King Saul's flatterers. He liked to flatter the king. Uh, he was one of a group of evil men from Saul's tribe, the tribe of Benjamin, who would report what they heard about David during the years when Saul was trying to capture and destroy David. Saul played on the sympathy of these types of men, and he bribed them in serving him as spies. And so to earn the king's approval, to earn those type of rewards, they would even lie about David and fabricate or, or exaggerate things about David, and Saul would believe them in his paranoia. We don't know exactly what Cush said about David, but we know from the way David describes these things that they're lies. 
And David was concerned enough about these accusations, false accusations, that he cried out to the Lord to deliver him from them. Cush the Benjamite spent his time falsely accusing David to gain favor with Saul. Charles Spurgeon, in his commentary on the, on the passage, said, From this title, we learn the occasion of this song. It appears probable that Cush the Benjamite had accused David to Saul of treasonable conspiracy against his royal authority. This the king would be ready enough to credit, both from his jealousy of David and from the relation which most probably existed between himself, the son of Kish, and this Cush or Kish the Benjamite. He who is near the throne can do more injury to a subject than any ordinary slanderer. Spurgeon called this psalm the song of the slandered saint. David was facing persecution from Saul, his king, false accusations from Saul's allies and advisors, and David had been nothing but loyal to the king. And these circumstances troubled him that he was being falsely accused before Saul. And by examining how David responds to this, uh, we can also learn how to deal with these circumstances. What do you do when you're falsely accused? Cush the Benjamite. Notice David has confidence in God. He has confidence in God. Verse 1, O Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. He has confidence in God for refuge. For refuge. The word trust there means refuge or shelter or trust. You can find it translated that way in Psalm 57, verse 1 also. Uh, both ways, really, where he says, Psalm 57, Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. David trusted in God to protect him, to be his refuge, to be his stronghold, to be his rock. He uses the word again in 2 Samuel 22, when they had victory over the Philistines, it says, And he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. The God of my rock, in him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge, my Savior, thou savest me from violence. David trusted in the refuge of the Lord. He said in Psalm 18, verse 2, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. David trusted in the Lord for refuge. Is God your refuge? Do you run to him for security and safety? He also trusted in him for rescue, for rescue. He says, save me, save me, verse 1. He's looking for deliverance from those that are persecuting and pursuing him. The word that he uses where it says, deliver me from all them. Now, deliver me, save me and deliver me. That literally means to snatch away the prey from out of a mouth of an animal. David might be hearkening back to his days as a shepherd and asking God, who is the good shepherd, to snatch him out of the mouth of the predators that are around him. David told Saul, we actually heard this in our children's service last week, but he told Saul in 1 Samuel 17 that I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. 
he talks about those that are falsely accusing him and criticizing him. He talks about them as them that were tearing his soul like a lion. God, snatch me out of their mouth. Save me out of the mouth of these predators. Notice that it shifts from the plural, them, all them, verse 1, that persecute me, to verse 2, he. David's got one person in mind in verse 2 in particular. Save me from that person. Saul is ultimately pursuing David. And David uses the metaphor of a lion stalking sheep. Folks, do you realize that we have a predator stalking us also? 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. And we have the very same refuge and rescue as David had. We have the God, the creator of all the universe, that we can run to and seek deliverance from. David faced his critics with confidence in God. Notice, he faced his own conscience also. Facing our conscience when we're accused. Verses 3-5, through five, David says, O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there be any iniquity in my hands, if I have rewarded evil unto him that was at peace with me, yea, I have delivered him that without cause is my enemy. Let the enemy persecute my soul and take it. Yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay mine honor in the dust. David spends some time with uh, introspection here. A little introspection goes a long way. And when we face accusations and criticism, the first thing, the first thing that we ought to do is decide whether or not they're true. Is there any truth? To what's being said here? Is there any truth to these accusations that are being leveled against me? And having an open and honest heart before the Lord and before ourselves, David introspects a little bit. If I have done these things, it reminds me of Psalm 139 where he says in verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In Psalm 26, verse 2, it says, Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. Psalm 51, that psalm of repentance, says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Psalm 19, verse 14, is a verse that comes up just in prayer all the time when I pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength, and my Redeemer. Proverbs 4.23 teaches us that we ought to keep our hearts with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. David is faced with these accusations, and he spends some time in introspection before the Lord. He believes he's innocent of these things, and he brings it to the Lord and declares to the Lord his innocence. His innocence. He spends some time in introspection, but he also declares his innocence. Not only was David innocent, he was actually the opposite of what his accusers were claiming. Twice he had had the chance to kill Saul, and both times he refused to do so. His accusers were saying he is treasonous, he's conspiring to take the throne, uh, and actually it was quite the opposite. David had spared Saul multiple times. Spurgeon said, so far from hiding treasonable intentions in his hands, or ungratefully requiting the peaceful deeds of a friend, 
He had even suffered his enemy to escape when he had him completely in his power. Twice he had spared Saul's life, once in the cave and again when he found him sleeping in the midst of his slumbering camp. He could therefore with a clear conscience make his appeal to heaven. David with a clear conscience knew that these accusations were not true. His introspection, his innocence. Notice the invitation here. The invitation. David is so sure of his innocence that he invites God to bring the consequences if he was indeed guilty. (laughs) I don't know if I could pray like that. Lord, bring it on. If these things are true, look what he says. Let the enemy persecute my soul and take it. Yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay mine honor in the dust. God, if there's truth to this thing, let my persecutors win. Let my life be forfeit. Let my reputation be destroyed if these things are really true. David is ready to own the punishment if he is in fact guilty. He is willing to take the consequences if he is in fact guilty. He's not arguing against Saul's right as king to search out and destroy traitors. Instead, he is arguing for his own honor before the king. I am innocent of these things. If I were guilty of these things, I should be persecuted. I should be killed. I should be destroyed. But he had been nothing but loyal to Saul. Are you so sure of your own innocence that you would be able to invite God to let loose the consequences if you were guilty of of sin? Are you that blameless before the Lord? That fascinates me that David was so confident of his blamelessness before the Lord that he was willing to pray, Lord, bring on the consequences if these things are true. Philippians 2.14 says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. David was confident that he was innocent of these things. He was bold in the way he prayed before the Lord because he knew his own heart. He had searched his own heart. He knew his own actions and his own innocence. And he faced his critics. He faced his own conscience. And because of that, he was willing to face his Creator also. Facing our Creator in verses 6-13. through He says, Arise, O Lord, in thine anger. Lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies, and awake for me to the judgment that thou hast commanded. So shall the congregation of the people compass thee about. For their sakes, therefore, return thou on high. The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to my integrity that is in me. O let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God trieth the hearts and reigns. My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not, he will wet his sword. He hath bent his bow and made it ready. He hath also prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordained his arrows against the persecutors. He faces his creator and he seeks God's judgment. Seeking God's judgment. David is crying out for God to stand up for him and answer the arrogance of those that are falsely accusing him and that are persecuting him and pursuing him. He asked God three times with three different words 
uh, to take action. He says, arise, lift up thyself, awake. God, intervene, take action for me against my oppressors and my accusers. He calls on God to sit on the seat of judgment, the tribunal, and to cast judgment on his behalf, but also on behalf of all Israel. All of God's people benefit when God judges from his throne. David understood the concept that justice and vengeance and judgment belong to the Lord. And he calls on God to exercise that judgment and vengeance. Romans 12, 19 says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. David faces his false accusers, his persecutors, by calling on judge, the judge of all the universe to stand on his behalf, to judge on his behalf. Not only do justice and judgment and vengeance belong to the Lord, but God promises that he will avenge his people. And even in our uh, lingo, he promises a swift and speedy trial. Luke 18, 7 Verse, and verse 8 says, Shall not God judge or avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear along with them? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith in the earth? God will avenge his people, and he will do so quickly. When you face opposition and trouble unjustly, what are we to do? We're to cast our cares over to the righteous judge and to trust in his judgment. That's what Christ did when he faced the same thing. He trusted in the one who judgeth righteously, seeking God's judgment. And then notice David is submitting to God's judgment. He says in verse 8, The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to mine integrity that is in me. David does more than just call on God to judge his enemies. He submits himself to God's judgment also. He submits himself to God's judgment. I'm sure you've had this happen at your dinner table before. I can remember it happening when I was a kid. Uh, I know it's happened to me as a parent. It's happened at our dinner table. But there's that inevitable moment in the life of a family with little children, you know, that sit around the table and gather around as all good families do, sit at the table and eat together. And they take a moment before they eat, and what do they do? They pray and they thank God for the meal. Then after that amen is uttered, there's that little child that says, so-and-so didn't close his eyes. His eyes were open while he was praying. And what are they doing at the same time? Unwittingly exposing their own guiltiness. They called on the judgment of their father. Father, judge my brother who was not praying properly. But they weren't so willing to submit to that same judgment. Usually how it went when I was a kid is, how do you know their eyes were open? My eyes were open too. David does more than just call on the judgment of God against his enemies. He's willing to to submit to God's judgment himself. He was willing to submit to God's judgment himself. To be judged by the same standard. How often do we do the same before a heavenly father 
We call on judgment for others, but we're not so quick to judge ourselves. David was confident, so confident in his own integrity, not because of pride, but because of practice. He knew how he had behaved himself. He knew that he had behaved himself uprightly before God. He was bold, as Proverbs 28 verse 1 says, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. David was able to confidently say before the Lord, Judge me according to my righteousness. David faced opposition. He faced accusations, but he was confident before God. His conscience was clean. And when your conscience is clean, you can find joy in the midst of trouble because you have confidence before God. 1 Peter 3 says in verse 14 through 17, But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. The Bible says, live your life in such a way that when you suffer, it's not your own consequences for your own bad behavior. A Christian can be happy if we suffer for testimony's sake before the Lord. It's better to suffer for well-doing than for evil. Could you pray, God, judge me today? (laughs) If not, if there's something that you realize there's something in my life that I would not be willing to submit to God's judgment right now. I do not have a clear conscience before the Lord. You need to give that to God and submit to His judgment. David sought God's judgment for his enemies, but he also submitted to it himself. And then notice the severity of God's judgment. The severity of God's judgment. Oh, let the wickedness, verse 9, of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God trieth the hearts and reigns. My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not, he will wet his sword. He hath bent his bow and made it ready. He hath also prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordaineth his arrows against the persecutors. Wickedness has an end, but the righteous are established forever. Proverbs 12, verse 30 says, A man shall not be established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous shall not be moved. Proverbs 10, verse 25 says, As the whirlwind passeth, so is the wicked no more, but the righteous is an everlasting foundation. It seems at times, doesn't it, that the wicked are prosperous and protected. That there's a double standard out there for the wicked. But their end is coming. Their end is coming. Though the righteous may be falsely accused, though they may be persecuted, God is our defense and he has the final say and his judgment is always right and perfect. And no matter what others might say, the only opinion we should truly consider is the the opinion of our Heavenly Father because He's the just judge of all men. What does God think of you exactly? And think of your life. Because that's the only opinion that should motivate you. 
1 Corinthians 4 is one of my favorite passages. Verses 1 through 4, Paul writes, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own self, for I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. I love this. Paul faced a lot of accusations. Paul faced a lot of uh, criticizers and those that would falsely accuse him of certain things. And Paul says, listen, it's a very small thing to me that I would be judged by you. I, I care very little about your opinion. As a matter of fact, I give very little weight to my own opinion of myself because the opinion that matters to me is the Lord's. It's the Lord's. Just as the righteous can be confident in God's defense, the wicked should be also confident of God's severe wrath and judgment. Isn't this incredible? You don't hear this very often anymore, but it says that God is angry with the wicked every day. He didn't, he, he didn't forget what's going on. He, he's, it's not, he's not overlooked it. He's angry with the wicked every day. The wicked face his constant anger. And the unrepentant, which says here in the passage, they that turn not, the unrepentant will face his sword. How ready is God to judge the wicked? The arrow is already notched on the string, and it's already drawn back. Those of you that, that hunt or that, that shoot bow and arrow, you don't hold it back for long periods of time, do you? Especially not in David's day. He didn't have a compound bow, right? God is so ready to exercise his justice and judgment on the wicked that the arrow is drawn back on the bow, which in, implies that he's ready to release his judgment at any time. He's ready. All God has to do is let loose the string, and the wicked are in danger of his wrath and vengeance. This is the message of Scripture. Romans 2 says in verses 5 through 9, but after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, and let me help you here, he will render eternal life. But unto them that are contentious, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. He will render tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil to the Jew first and also of the Gentile. We can take comfort in the fact that the wicked will be punished, but also we should consider our own selves because God's punishment is just. It's also very severe. It's very severe. And hopefully with an innocent conscience, we can stand confident before our Creator. You know, the more you study and consider the severity of God's wicked, uh, uh, wrath and anger against the wicked, the more grateful you are for the grace that is found in Jesus Christ, who took all of our wrath 
so that we're no longer appointed to wrath? Facing our Creator and then facing the consequences. Facing the consequences. David speaks some of consequences here in verses 14 through 17. Behold, he travaileth with iniquity and hath conceived mischief and brought forth falsehood. He made a pit and digged it and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His mischief shall return upon his own head and his violent dealing shall come down upon his own pate. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise in the name of the Lord most high. David speaks of the life cycle of sin. He uses pregnancy to illustrate living in sin. Something is going to be born, David says. David says he's travailing with iniquity. He's in labor in sin. Don't go around sowing wild oats. There is a harvest coming. Somebody once said many Christians spend six days a week sowing wild oats and then come to church and pray for crop failure. There is a harvest coming, and we need to keep that in mind. James uses a similar illustration to talk about the life cycle of sin. In James 1, 13-16, he says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth, there's that picture of a pregnancy, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. There's a life cycle of sin. That which is conceived will be born. And then notice the loop concept of sin there. Ever hear the phrase, what goes around comes around? The loop concept. We don't believe in the false religious concept of karma, but the Bible does clearly con uh, teach consequences. Consequences. Sin always has consequences for the sinner. Sin always has consequences for the sinner, no matter how much the world likes to whitewash it. Up in Grand Rapids, there's a place called Mel Trotter Mission. It was named after Mel Trotter, the famous rescue mission worker. He was the son of a bartender who drank as much as he served. And Trotter followed in his father's footsteps, losing job after job because of his addiction to drinking and gambling. Every time he lost a job, he would promise to change and start doing better. But every single time he failed. After the death of his baby son, Trotter made his way to Chicago where he intended to drown himself in Lake Michigan. He had sold his shoes to get money for another drink and was walking barefoot through the snow toward his death when he went inside the Pacific Garden Mission and was saved. For the next 40 years, Trotter did everything he could to help those like himself who had fallen prey to the deceptively alluring temptation of sin. Satan is not an honest advertiser. He's not. He paints beautiful pictures of immediate pleasure, ignoring the very real and certain consequences that the participants in sin must endure. If the beer companies ran ads filled with wrecked cars, paralyzed drinkers, and caskets of people that have been killed by drunk driving, it, it wouldn't really sell their product well. 
So they focus instead on the beginning rather than the ending. They show people having a good time. They show the party. They show the fun. And they ignore the certain consequences. No matter how beautiful the temptation appears, it's only a cloak for the reality that sin always ends in pain and heartbreak and judgment. As the cliche goes, sin always takes you further than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, and costs you more than you're willing to pay. There are always consequences. There's a life cycle of sin. There's this loop concept of sin that you can't break free from. And then notice the last comment in the song here. David says in verse 17, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Most High. The world is unjust, but God is always just. The world is wicked, but God is righteous. David starts the psalm in desperation and despair. And he ends the psalm expressing, expressing his devotion to God. He doesn't get any answers here. There's no solutions given to David. But the way he ends the psalm, he ends it in faith in the God who is righteous. When the world is unjust, where does your focus need to go? It needs to go on the one who always is and always will be only just and righteous and good. Are you facing unwarranted criticism. Place your confidence in God. If you are facing criticism, it's healthy to make sure that you do have a clean conscience. Is there any truth to this thing? Is God using this situation to open my eyes to something that needs to change? So do you have a clear conscience? Allow God to examine you. Are you living blamelessly? Take comfort in God's judgment. Are you living in sin? Take the wrath of God seriously. It's no joke. We don't hear much about it. We tend to emphasize the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God. But do a little study on the wrath of God and take it seriously. Are you certain of sin's consequences? It will come for you. Seek the better path, the righteous path. That's where the blessing is. That's where the joy is. That's where the confidence is. It's when we serve the one who is just. Hebrews 13 verses 5 through 6 says, Let your conversation, your lifestyle, your behavior, your conduct be without covetousness. And be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that we would live our lives in such a way that we could have confidence in the face of criticism and even false accusations and persecutions. Confidence because we're living according to your word. God, that you would allow us to have a clear conscience before you. It would keep short account with you of sin. Lord, if, if we are serving sin, that you would bring those things to mind and that we would repent of those things and that we would take your justice seriously. Lord, we pray that as we live in a world that's getting ever, ever more wicked, Lord, that we wouldn't be 
afraid, that we wouldn't be discouraged. But Father, that we would place our hope and our faith in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before Dwight comes and closes in a song, uh, let me mention uh, just a couple of things. First of all, we're having a men's meeting. Pastor and I were going over a list of things. Uh, we're having a men's meeting next Sunday between the services. And so we would encourage you men to be there for that. It's not a private meeting or a secret meeting. It's just I want to speak to the men particularly because uh, I, I don't know who can do what around here. So we want to find that out and get some ideas as to how we can accomplish some of the projects that need doing around the church. Um, but if, like like I said, one one wife asked, listen, my husband's not going to be here because of work. Can I sit in on that? Yes, you can do that. There's nothing secret, um, but we're just uh, seeking the men's input and help with these things. Also, uh, we want to welcome our guests today. Uh, if you, you got a visitor card. The more information you give me on that card, the nicer I can be to you. I'd like to send you a note and thank you for coming. So please fill out that card for me so that I can do that. And uh, you can give it to me. You can give it to uh, the usher that met you on the way in. But uh, appreciate the guests that are here this afternoon. Thank you for coming out, for risking. Uh, for risking. You just never know what you're going to run into when you walk through the church doors, right? So there's a lot of risk involved with being a guest in a church. So we hope that you were blessed today, and we hope that people were nice to you, and I'd appreciate the chance to be nicer to you in the future by sending you a note. So please give me that info card back. Uh, invite folks to church. We have these. We have tools for you to do it now. We have a, 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 a card that says, Be Our Guest, this Sunday that you can give out to, uh, you know, the checker at Walmart, or you, you know, you get food at the drive-thru on the way home, and... Uh, when they finally bring your food to your car, when they made you park a block down the street, you can hand this to them and say, hey, I just came from church. We'd love to have you there uh, on Sunday. That'll keep you from getting bitter and angry. So uh, if you have to be a witness instead, I'm not speaking about a particular experience at Jack in the Box. I'm just talking <laughs> about, uh, but you can hand this to them and say, hey, we'd love to have you right down the street um, and be our guest this Sunday. And when you do give this to them, it's more than just an invitation to church. There is a track on the back uh, that they can have and read. So I'll be praying as you give them also. But it's got our address. It's got a map on here. It's got our website and the service times and all of that. And it says, be our special guest this Sunday. And then if they show up, will you treat them like a special guest and say, we're so glad you came, sit with us and all of that. Uh, but use those things. And if you want to hand out gospel tracks, it's just nice to be able to, as you're talking to somebody, just whip it out and say, hey, you know, speaking of that, we'd love to have you in church, and here's something that will tell you more about that or, or anything. There's all sorts of different ways you can give out gospel tracts, and this one's called the Romans Road, and it's literally a, a road with verses from Romans on it, but it also has the church address and website and everything on the back. So take some of those. Uh, we want to run out of them. We want them to be used. We don't print them just to fill the rack and make it look pretty. Uh, we want them to be used. So take them, put them in your car. Uh, you know, if you have to wear a jacket or whatever, if you have a toolbox, put them in there so that you can pull them out dealing with a client or if you're allowed to do that, dealing with a client or, you know, in the drive-thru, in the checkout lane, whatever. Uh, just the people that you encounter, you might they might not have time uh, for you to stand there and give them a 10-minute gospel presentation, but you could give them a track. Say, hey, 
Have you gotten one of these yet? Or, hey, I'd love for you to come to our church. We'd love to have you. Something like that. Uh, it's a great way to get that into their hands. You just never know. I've heard of stories where people got a track from somebody, threw it in a drawer, and then years later were cleaning out that drawer. The track was in there. They read it. They got saved. You just have no idea when God will germinate that seed. So let's plant some. We've given you the tools. It's up to you all to help us use it. Uh, then be praying for the Bogners. Be praying for Mr. Bogner. Great reports so far from him. God's really done some miracles with him, and we have, uh, we're praising the Lord for that. But he's got a long recovery ahead of him. Not only did they remove a section of his scalp, but they replaced it with tissue from another place in his body. So he's got more than one wound that has to recover. But so far, he's been doing really well with pain. So we're praying for Mr. Bogner uh, and for the others that have been on our list. Dwight, will you lead us in a song and then close us in prayer? We would appreciate it. Storm. 